0: Oh, does this work? Excuse me, band. The countdown ended, and then you guys weren't done when the countdown ended, so if you could please be less good at music, thank you very much. Hey, uh, really quick. First thing, don't worry. Uh, My name is Darius. I'm not preaching today. You're off the hook, so thank you. Thank you for the claps. I'll take the claps wherever, whatever I can get the claps for, if it's for not preaching, I'll take them. Um, I do have an announcement really quick, uh, um, to, to preface this, I don't know how many of you know uh, what the technical age definition for millennials is, so the the gap goes from 1985 to 1999, that's the, I don't even know how these things become official, but that's like the official age group of millennials, 1985 to 1999, anybody born in those years. Uh, so millennials are a really weird group of people, and I say that as someone who was born in the year 1990, um, and they're just weird, they're always late, uh, they don't like meetings, they all want to work from home, but they all want to make full-time wages, and um, they're also, like, really gifted and very creative and very different, and they do things their own way, and it's, 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 it's fun. I was, I was in the grocery store yesterday, for instance, and uh, millennials are just, they're just a funky group of people. We don't know what to do with them. And um, I was walking by someone, a, a lady who was about my age, give or take a couple years, and she looked so professional and put together and normal, but she had, like, electric bright blue hair. And then, as I walked past her, I loudly heard this. And I turned around and it was her phone. Her ringtone was the Harry Potter theme song. And then, she answered the phone in in the most serious manner. Yes, hello. This is Jessica. What can I do? And she had a very serious conversation. And all of those things were just in such juxtaposition to me. And uh, millennials, are, they're funny, and, and a lot of us, we're weirded out by them. Uh, I love millennials. I am one. And um, at the same time, millennials are one of the most wildly unreached groups of people in the local church. Underrepresented in the church, underreached, a generation that is lost, hurting, broken, I speak for myself even, a generation that desperately needs Jesus. But like scripture says, here is my belief, is that we may be crushed, afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We may be confused and perplexed, but we will not be driven to despair. We may be forsaken, but we are not abandoned because God is not done with my generation. He's not done reaching people. He's not done saving people. He's not done healing people. And there's going to be revival in the millennial generation. I believe it in Jesus' name. So, we're nearing 40 as a generation. Woo, getting old. And so, I don't care if you're not a millennial or if you are. Maybe you're you're older, maybe you're... Gen Z, don't even get me started. I don't even know what they're talking about, and they speak English. But those are the people that we're trying to reach. On Sunday night specifically, tonight at 6 p.m., we have this event. It happens every week, but once a month, we have kid care and free dinner. Someone say amen to free dinner. Yes, Lord. We have free pizza. Don't worry. It's grown-up pizza. It's from Frankie's. It's not that Domino's nonsense. And uh, we have kid care tonight. Listen, seriously, we believe that God wants to move in a generation of people, in a, in a new generation of people, and people in their 20s and 30s. Maybe, maybe you're not in your 20s and 30s. Come out anyway. Pray for people, because tonight we're going to have an altar call. And last month when we did this at the altar, uh, we prayed for people. And I didn't even get to preach because we spent so much time praying for people at the altar. And I'm believing that God is going to do something new in a new generation here at MRCC. So if you want to come out, come out tonight at 6 p.m. If you know a millennial that you love, bring them or invite them or at least make fun of them. And I'll see you guys at 6 p.m. Please check out this video. (laughs)
1: summer <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Uh, can I just tell you, if you don't know, I'm Pastor Alistair, I'm a kid's pastor, and um, it was such a joy. We took over 60 kids to kid's camp. Uh, there were over 500 kids that were at kid's camp between two sessions of kid's camp. Lots of kids made decisions to follow Jesus. Uh, fun was had. That little, uh, did you see them swinging glow sticks there at the end? It was dark in the room. Can I tell you the most pow- one of the most powerful things? Uh, we gave kids a glow stick, told them not to break it. The room was dark. Um, And we talked to them about how they can be a light for Jesus, but they shouldn't be alone. And then we all broke our little light sticks and had a really great time with them and uh, thought we were going to get injured by all the swinging because they were on necklaces. But it was a beautiful moment, and I think it really impacted our kids. So I just want to celebrate with you that we got to go to camp. It was amazing. And the truth is, that the fact that we had over 60 kids at camp was a big deal because we haven't had camp in over two years, which means all of our kids who would normally go to camp have moved on to middle school and high school. So this group of kids, it was most of them, it was their very first time at camp. I would say over 85% of those kids had never been to a camp before. So it was amazing, it was beautiful, and I'm so thankful that we were able to go, and thanks to your tithing, we were able to scholarship some of our kids to go who otherwise wouldn't have been able to camp, so thank you for your faithful tithing for that opportunity that we got to take them, and if you have a youth age student between 6th and 12th grade, they're going to the same location in a few more weeks uh, at the end of July, and signups I believe this is the last week for signups. it's all on our website, so if you go to mrccnow.org and you want to sign your kiddo to go to camp, it's a great opportunity. Great things happen there. They just get away from home and in an environment that's just beautiful. So uh, all that to say, thank you for letting us do this. It was amazing. Had a great time. Um, But a couple other announcements are coming up next week. We have a church picnic, yeah? I'm so excited to have, like, summertime. We're doing all the summertime things. We just had a movie night last Friday. It was amazing. This next week, we're going to, next Sunday, we're going to have a church picnic right after third service. And if you are one that feels like maybe you could help, you could go to mrccnow.org, sign up to help for the picnic, would be amazing. Uh, Typically, we do our setup during second and third service, so you can still attend first and then help with some of the setup. But even if uh, all together, uh, come to the church picnic. And can I tell you one thing? Maybe invite a neighbor or a friend or someone who's never been to church before. I can't tell you how many people have given us testimony that they brought someone to a church picnic and their friend decided, you know what, this, I want to go to church. So it's a great opportunity for you to invite somebody to an environment that might feel... Less maybe less threatening for them and then they might be able to be interested maybe in being a part of our family, right? So it is a great opportunity to connect as family, invite some people, come on out, we'll have a great time and it looks like the weather's gonna be great so uh, that's gonna be awesome. Uh, one other thing I wanna bring your attention to, if you look at this picture, these cookies, you could learn how to decorate, they don't have to bake them, but you could learn how to decorate them and no joke, I am not an artist and I can make a cookie like that because of Marcy who leads this class and she's leading the class specifically so that the money for it can go to our kids' building fund. So it's a fun way to raise some money for the building fund for our kids and learn something really cool. She'll even teach you how to make the frosting so you can do it yourself. And uh, there are only 20 spots available at each class. There's a July 16th. And then there's an August 13th class. You can do that online, sign up online, come and join us for the fun of that as well. Uh, Does that sound good? All that sound like fun? I mean, summer's fun, right? Are you guys having fun? (laughs) I hope so. Uh, But I'm also here just to kind of give us our announcements, introduce our speaker. Can I tell you, Uh, and then also give you a little bit of an update on Pastor Greg. Uh, because if you haven't heard yet, uh, he is doing a sabbatical for this summer, and we, we're celebrating and we're praying with him as he goes on this journey. And, and I just update, he's doing great. Uh, we're making, or we, I say we as if I have any decision in the matter, uh, are making some adjustments to the schedule for him. He, he's chosen to do things a little bit differently, but can I tell you uh, what he's doing? I believe, and I know that he's following the Lord's leading in it, because as he adjusts his schedule, it's giving him greater opportunity to really seek Jesus during this time. And so he's really in great communication with Rhonda, who's kind of giving us so that we can tell you he's doing awesome, you guys. <laughs> He's doing great, and and in the time while he's gone, we're getting to hear from some of our pastors, from some of our congregation, from some of our missionaries, and I can't tell you the awesome feedback. Can I tell you how awesome it is to hear from you to say, uh, they, a lot of people had fun hearing from Pastor Dave last week, uh, and even Pastor Weston said, I think he got more laughs than any other pastor on staff, so um, <laughs> that was kind of fun. Uh, pastor Weston was the week before. Um, so this week we actually have Dean Smith coming up to preach, and uh, he is a part of our church family. And it's fun to have uh, just some some church family come up and share God's word with us, yeah. And he doesn't even need a step stool. I cannot. Thank you, Allison. I cannot do that, but I'll give you a stand, and Thank you, you, you can have fun. Yes, welcome.
2: Morning, y'all. You beautiful people. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome one of the most incredible, one of the most amazing, one of the most potentially transforming sermon topics of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome the topic of forgiveness. I don't believe you. Isn't that interesting when you hear, oh, a message on forgiveness. That's really great. I want to take you behind the scenes what it's like. So for 15 years, I've been blessed to travel around the country and talk to various audiences about forgiveness. But let me tell you a little behind the scenes of what I experience. Don't be this person. There's two types of people after, after I get done. And Oh, Dean, that is, oh, it's forgiveness. I am so glad you're talking about it. It is so important. I mean, Jesus died like for our sins so that we could be forgiven. So it's like the most important thing. Oh, really? So do you practice forgiveness regularly then? Oh, heaven forbid, no, but it's really important. (laughs) The second person is, oh, Dean, man, God bless you. Talking about forgiveness, man, I wish my brother could have been here. (laughs) Man, he really needs your sermon. I tell you what, he's been embittered to the family for like the last 10 years, haven't spoken to a darn one of us. Oh, really? So are you practicing forgiveness and leading by example? Well, heaven forbid, no, but I'm not as bad as my brother. (laughs) Why don't we do this thing that we know is so important? In fact, I would say over the last 15 years, about 20 times, at various times, different denominations, different demographics, I've done a little blind poll. And I would say, and I did it here, by the way, in 2015. And I'd say, all right, everybody close your eyes and raise your hand if you you consider yourself a Christian and you have a relationship with Jesus. And we're in church, so, you know, like 95% of the people raise their hands. You're like, okay, cool. All right, keep your eyes closed. Now, raise your hand if within that relationship with Jesus, you practice forgiveness regularly, receiving God's forgiveness, forgiving others, and asking others to forgive you. And without exception... It's never been more than 10% of the people raising their hand. Why don't we do this thing? It's, it's the central tenet to our Christian faith. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. Why don't we actually practice this thing we know we should do? Paul refers to it because we've got, like, the flesh, our fleshly nature. We've got Satan. But uh, Paul refers to that in the book of Romans 7.19. He says, for I do not do the good I would want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, that is what I keep on doing. Okay. But then there's also this human side. Just, we're human. About nine years ago, I became a certified mindset and habit transformation coach, which is a fancy way of saying I help people transform their thinking habits so that they can be the person they really want to be and do the things that they really want to do to live in the fullness of their God-given potential. And so over the years, I've learned a lot about the brain, how the brain works, and about human behavior. And what I discovered, something really common, commonly known in the behavioral sciences, maybe you've heard of it, as that we, we humans make most of our decisions based off one of two things. Either our need to avoid pain or our desire to gain pleasure. To avoid pain or gain pleasure, and... Ultimately, the research shows that we're more likely to be more motivated by avoiding pain. Interesting, isn't it? And if you think about even like um, like procrastination, oh, this thing, I, I know I should really get to it, but when you think about doing this thing, maybe it's taxes or a project, you procrastinate it because it seems uncomfortable, it seems like, oh, uh, it's going to be boring. Maybe you don't know exactly how to do it, so that creates some in your brain, so you put it off, put it off, put it off, as long as possible. And is it possible that we Christians, when we think about forgiveness, when we think about receiving God's forgiveness and forgiving others and asking others to forgive us, is it possible, consciously or unconsciously, that we think of it as being a little painful? Or maybe we don't even know exactly what to do. Like, what do I do? I know I'm supposed to forgive, but what do I actually do? And so we put it off. It's really important, but we put it off. Today, we're going to stop putting it off. Today, this morning, you're going to learn that by avoiding the habit of forgiveness, you are bringing much more pain into your life than taking it head on. And you're going to learn exactly what to do to actually forgive, like specifically what do you do so that you can experience much more, much, much more. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. God wants to heal your thinking habits. He wants to heal your emotions. And he wants to heal your relationships. But there's this interesting thing. To understand why God is so insistent, all over the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, forgive, forgive, forgive. You have to understand the damage of sin. But first, let me ask you. Think about your own life for a second your work, school, even in your home, the people outside your home, but in your family, but then the people in your home. Have you noticed these days that people are experiencing a lot of sabotaging negative thinking habits? Like, have you noticed, like for real? And have you noticed that those thinking habits may lead those same people to feel a bit anxious or depressed or worried? And have you noticed that when people's thinking habits are negative and their emotions are anxious or worried or fearful, that it causes them to perhaps make decisions that are not in alignment with who they would probably really want to be, according to God. It helps makes them make sinful choices. Have you noticed? I'm really asking you, have you noticed? (laughs) And our, our country actually keeps statistics. And what we know as we look at the statistics is they're all through the roof. Divorce, rising rapidly. Domestic violence, up. Violent crime, up. Suicide, depression, boo, boo. And it's really sad. Another way of saying it is that sin is on the rise. I see a bad sin rising. Okay, sin is on the rise, and it's been on the rise. Let's be honest. Because when minds are filled with negative thoughts, that cause anxious, fearful, worried emotions, it makes us make sinful choices. And here's the the problem with sin. Oh, now I'm bringing it to you. The problem with sin is it doesn't just create damage out there. Well, that sin sure is creating a lot of damage in the world. No. It creates damage, and that damage of sin starts in your soul, in your thinking habits, In your emotions, in your choices, in your relationships. See, when God created us, He created us to be able to think like He thinks, to feel like He feels, and to choose what He chooses. Think about it God created us to think truth, to feel good, and to choose love. But something that God calls sin has broken into the world like a virus, like a plague, like an invader. And sin can only do three things, steal, kill, and destroy, and the destruction is starting in your soul. So how are your thinking habits been? How have your emotions been? I want you to see this visually. So if you would put up that slide, the torturous circle of death. It starts at the top and goes clockwise, and you can see, it starts with sin. I sin against you, you sin against me, we all sin against God. And because sin is destructive, it only still kills and destroys, It causes damage. Now, you can't necessarily see the damage, but you can feel the emotions that the damage causes, right? Depression, fear, worry, anxiety, guilt, shame, bitterness, regret, sorrow. And it's not the emotions that are actually the problem. It's like your oil light coming on. You don't put duct tape over the oil light. That'll fix it. It's the damage caused by the sin that made the emotions that's the problem. And also reduced abilities. All of a sudden, your soul's not able to function like it did before when there's sin. Your sin, others sin. All of a sudden, you're not thinking as truthful. You're not feeling as good. And you're not choosing as loving. In fact, what you're doing is you're thinking lies. You're feeling bad. And you're choosing more sin. The damage of sin causes you to think lies, feel bad, and choose more sin. But you got to deal with that crippling effect of that damage. And so you got to find ways to manage the dysfunction. And so you might find any one of millions of possible coping mechanisms. And some coping mechanisms are so overt, right, like drugs, alcohol, any type of addiction. But it's sometimes the more subtle coping mechanisms that are equally, if not more, damaging. Like trying to forget about the sin, minimizing the sin, justifying the sin, denying the sin, ignoring the sin, hiding from the sin tolerating the sin the problem is none of them leads to forgiveness none of those things lead to healing in fact all coping mechanisms as you can see simply leads to more sin which leads to more damage which leads to more reduced abilities which leads to more coping mechanisms and around and round. but i've got great news forgiveness is god's solution to this problem he calls sin Forgiveness is God's solution to a problem that he calls sin. Forgiveness is God's solution to a problem that he calls... Things are easier to remember in a song. That's why I put them in a song. You know it's true. Forgiveness is God's solution to a problem that he calls sin. Because God heals your soul and he restores loving relationships when you practice real forgiveness. Which we're going to talk about how to practice it in just a few minutes. God wants to heal your thinking so you can think in alignment. You know why? Cuz he loves you so much. He doesn't want you going round and round the torturous circle of death. How many marriages that are just struggling or that have dissipated started with just one trip around the thing? One trip. Ah, he did something to me and you know that's just that's just Bob. Uh, that's Bob and instead of forgiveness, it just tolerate it. But something changed here. Just it might have been very Subtle, might have been even unconscious, but just something happened in here and in here because that's what sin does. And it happened again and again and things started to stack up and make a bigger and bigger, more profound difference. And then that person gets out of that relationship, it ends, and they take that, that dysfunction to the next relationship and around and around. So we can do a self-check and realize, Are we? Exp- is our oil light on? Is there any... In our own life, any depression, fear, anxiety, anger, guilt, shame, worry? Forgiveness is God's solution to a problem that he calls sin. And when we break out of the torturous circle by practicing forgiveness rather than coping mechanisms, we open up our lives to be how God designed us. And it's such a different level. In fact, most of us Christians, we don't really understand the damaging nature of sin. We think, come on, guy, I've been living a long time without doing no forgiving. I'm doing fine. I mean, I mean, seriously, Janice and I are, are doing fine. I mean, we're doing fine. We're doing good. And we think we can just get by, you know, we have problems, but we manage them in the flesh. We're doing fine. If it ain't broke, then don't fix it. But there's just one problem. It is broke. It is totally broke. This is not the life. I'm fine is not the life God has created for us. God wants us to practice real forgiveness so that we can think like he wants us to think so he can be close to us. He wants us to feel like he wants us to feel so that he can be close to us. He wants our relationships to be restored so that we can exemplify his glory on this earth. It is time to make forgiveness a habit. And God doesn't just want us to practice forgiveness every now and again with the big sins. Why would he do that? He wants us to think like him and feel like him and choose love. And so let's talk about a habit for a second. A habit is an acquired behavior pattern regularly followed until it has become almost involuntary, like the habit of looking both ways before crossing the street. In the Bible, there's so many verses, we'll just look at a few that confirm that he wants you to make it a habit, yo. Jesus Christ himself, Mark eleven twenty-five. 25, this is Jesus talking. I picture him saying yo at the beginning of this for some reason, that's how I see Jesus. Yo, when you are praying, first, the first thing, hey, first thing, forgive, yo. If you have anything against anyone, forgive. This is the most important thing. This is what I'm telling you to do. Make it a priority, and that is because God loves you so much, not just because he has a bunch of rules and he wants you to follow his commandments because he's kind of an authoritarian figure. No, it's because he loves you so much. He would never want your life to be permanently damaged from sin. He wants you to be able to walk in the fullness of his potential for you. So each and every time you stand praying, practice forgiveness. Make it a habit. Matthew 18 Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, he said, I tell you, not 70 times, but 77 times. And some versions say 70 times 7. And dude, you know I'm getting relaxed when I put a dude in there. That is, that is. Jesus wasn't actually giving a prescribed amount of forgivenesses, He wanted Peter to know, he wanted him to have an endless supply because the solution to the problem of someone sinning against you is forgiveness. I will say it again. The solution, God's solution to the problem of someone sinning against you or you sinning against God or another is forgiveness every single time. Someone sins against you, what do I do? Forgive. Someone sins against you, what do I do? Forgive. I said, if someone sins against you, what do I do? You forgive every single time. Ephesians 4, 26, 27, it says, in your anger, do not sin, and don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. Oh, my goodness. Paul's telling the church in Ephesus, he's like, just as common as brushing your teeth before you go to bed. Forgive, because God would never want you to wake up in the morning with your thinking being out of alignment with his thinking or your emotions or your choices or your relationships. So now you know. The damage of sin was, is, and will continue to devastate your thinking habits, your emotions, your relationships, your choices. And if we keep using coping mechanisms, even the ones as subtle as ignoring the sin, we are going to compound that pain and reduced abilities. But God is so good, and he gave us the solution so that we don't have to be devastated by that damage. Forgiveness is God's solution. And when we practice it, God heals our soul and restores loving relationships. So the question becomes, What do we do? What in the world do we do? Forgive? Do I, does that mean I just like, okay, something happened, I should just go straight to the person and start telling them I forgive them? And sometimes it's very fascinating for me to realize, like, I, I'll think I'll give a humdinger of a sermon, and someone goes, yeah, great message and everything, but what do I do? And then I realize, like, I, we don't a lot of times in the church talk about exactly what to do. In fact, because I'm going to tell you exactly what to do, it's more teachy than inspirationally you get it? But we're going to talk about what to do because more than anything, all I care about is that you actually align your life and your daily practices with God so that you can live in his freedom, his joy, his love. So you realize that there's God's part and there's our part to this forgiveness thing, right? We do our part. God does his part. Sometimes God does his part anyway. That's how good he is. But he's asked us to do some things. And for our part, I created an acronym a few years ago that I call TRAC, as in track prayer or track prayers. As in, girl, you got unforgiveness? You better get on track. <laughs> so here it is. <laughs> now, first, because I know we all come from different places, we don't all have the same definition of forgiveness, by the way. So I want to help us all have, for the sake of this conversation today, let's get in alignment. I see forgiveness like a coin. There's just one coin and it has two sides, and I see forgiveness as the same thing. It's forgiveness, but it has two dimensions. There is personal forgiveness on one side and relational forgiveness on the other. Personal forgiveness is what happens between you and God and no one else. This is where God does his part and heals your mind. It's supernatural, It doesn't make sense. The world can't understand it. It doesn't have to do with anybody else, just you and God. The other side of the coin, and and by the way, it's like the foundation of the house. If there's no no solid foundation, when you go to build your house, it'll crumble in the same way. If you're still embittered and you go to reconcile the relationship, hey, I forgive you, then it's going to look a little funky. Personal forgiveness has to come first, even though sometimes it has to come at the same time if the person's in your house. So we're talking about personal forgiveness. You with me? This is just between you and God. And the first part, the K, oh, by the way, this acronym goes backwards (laughs) because I can do whatever I want and that's the word I want to do. The K is to know him. In John chapter eight, it says, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then you're disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. In the Greek and Hebrew, the word know means intimately, personally, relationally. Everything I'm going to say from this moment forward, you have to know that unless it's in a real intimate relationship with Jesus, it won't matter. I will follow the rules that Dean says and experience great freedom in this world. Nope. It's got to be an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus first and foremost. And the rest of the things after this will be things you can do, but your heart has to be in the right place and so does your mind. Can we agree to that? Amen. Okay. The C is for confession, to confess. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Okay. How many people would acknowledge that you may sin every day? Oh, 10% of you. Really? <laughs> Dear God. Most of us would acknowledge we sin every day. And so if you ain't been forgiven, if you ain't been practicing forgiveness, could it be even at an unconscious level that your thinking is being changed for the worse and that your emotions are being impacted? It actually behooves us to spend time thinking about what we could, the sins, the things that we do where we're missing the mark that aren't up to God's expectations. Here's the thing, God already knows your sins. He already knows it, but when we confess our sins, we give God permission to heal us from those specific sins and begin to heal the damage caused to our soul. It's also important that we confess our intentions, our intentions. The Bible says that the power of life and death are in the tongue. Neuroscience says that when you speak something aloud, it impacts you tenfold because that's how God created it. Thanks, neuroscience. You're just catching up. And so for us to confess our intentions, and here's what I mean. In our prayer to say, I choose to forgive Sally. I choose to forgive. That's my confession. I choose to, I receive your forgiveness, God. Oh, even though I feel so guilty and I'm having a hard time feeling this right now. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. It's so hard to receive, but I receive it. And I picture Jesus eating a bowl of cereal, reading the paper. And all of a sudden he hears, I choose to forgive or Jesus I receive. And I feel like he drops his spoon, milk splashes up on his beard in the paper and he's like, what's that? <laughs> because the, the word tells us that when we pray according to his will, what is more in line with his will than choosing to forgive or to receive his forgiveness? I think God gets excited. I think God says, finally, they're doing what I'm telling them to do and not just knowing that it's important. So let's not just, oh, so let's practice, first of all. You ready? You ready to repeat after me? Let's just practice it because ultimately you'll be doing it on your own today. Say, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. Now, ultimately, you'd put somebody's name there, but let's try again. I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. Say, Jesus, I receive, your Jesus I, receive your Father, I receive your forgiveness. Father, I receive your forgiveness. Oh, powerful powerful, powerful. The A is to ask for help. This is kind of a no-brainer, I hope, but ultimately, remember, God's part is the heavy lifting. That's where the real transformation takes place. So ask God for help. God, help me to receive your forgiveness. I'm having a hard time. Lord, help me deliver me from my addiction. Help me to experience this freedom that you made possible for dying on the cross. Help me to see myself how you see me. Help me to see my enemy how you see them. Lord, I need your help because I'm saying these words right now because I know I'm supposed to, but I'm having a hard time feeling it. Help me to feel it, Lord. Help it to become more authentic to me. Sometimes it starts with our words. Some people say, well, Dean, I'm going to forgive when I feel like it. When I'm ready, when I'm ready, I'm going to do it. And I'm like, bro, what do you think? You think you wake up in the morning and be like, well, this feels like the right day. Let's do this. No, never. Nope. Never feel like it. I've never felt like forgiving. And yet you can choose to do it. The R is for repentance or to repent. Now, for the sake of this conversation, we're not talking about that initial repentance where you turn from a life without God and then you turn to a life with God and become a Christian talking about the daily repentance, which means to turn with remorse from sin back to God. With remorse from sin back to God. When we we repent, it means we stop the sin and commit to not doing it again. And some would say, well, what if I kind of know that I'm never going to not sin and I'm going to... Well, here's the thing. Repentance starts with a change of mind that leads to a change in heart that leads to a change in action. Starts with a change of mind, which leads to a change of heart, leads to a change in action. You got to start somewhere, right? You might as well start today with confessing and repenting. And how it sounds is, Lord, I turn from this addiction back to you. Lord, I turn from these negative thoughts about Sally, and I turn back to you. Lord, I keep making myself wrong and feeling condemned even though I've confessed. But, Lord, I turn from the self-condemnation back to you. Make your confession clear. Let your words show that you're moving in a direction away from sin with remorse back to God. The T is to thank him. To thank God who is so good in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians 5:18 it says, "Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. God is so good. He loves us so much. For all you trivia buffs, I have a little trivia. Whoever thinks of the smartest one in the room, get ready because this question is for you. Who invented the human brain? You're not going to answer. Oh, nice. And he was so smart when he did it. God was so smart. He tells us what to do, and he actually makes our brain in alignment. So neuroscience figured this out just a couple decades ago. Did you know that you can't be, and they know because they know what parts of your brain light up when you have certain emotions. You can't be simultaneously anxious, worried, or fearful. Let's say it's this part of your brain. When you're able to plug in this one which is gratitude and thankfulness. There's only one plug in. So when you start giving thanks to God, when you start feeling more grateful, God designed it so you would be less worried. In fact, check this out. Thanks, neuroscience, for telling us what the Bible told us. The act of being grateful, check this out. God, you're so smart. Being grateful for anything big or small actually releases serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, and and Endorphins in levels comparable to a low dose of antidepressant. God, you're so good. Thank you, Jesus, for making forgiveness possible. Thank you for dying on the cross, Jesus. Thank you so much for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that although I don't feel your love right now, I know from your word you love me. Help me to feel it. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the, and just everything you can think of. It's part of the track prayer. And have you ever, have you ever been really frazzled and just taken time to thank God and realize that God actually changes your filter? You got to try it, dude. Because when we do our part, God does his part. So what does this look like in the real world? It looks like 12 years ago when my sweet wife Molly and I, what does this get me, gosh. If she was up here, she would agree with me when I said the first several years of our marriage were brutally not great. Horrible. In fact, I would say, I just like, that's a horrible marriage. And I I wanted to leave it. Ugh, it's hard to say in front of a group of people. But I did. But we started making forgiveness a priority. Like really actually praying together. And, and doing, like in front of each other and saying, Lord... I'm angry with her, and she's like, I'm angry with this guy, but I choose to forgive him. Lord, I confess that I, I've almost given up, but right now I turn from that give up spirit, and I turn to you, God. We need your help, and we invited God in for, like for real, and it's amazing that we could go from I don't really want to be with her anymore to 12 years later, and for the last 12 years, year after year, we're just like, we can't believe it's so good. We think, like, we've got, like, the best marriage ever. (laughs) Not perfect, but imperfectly perfect. God does that because we did this thing that he told us to do because he loved us so much, and we finally did it, and what do you know, it worked. If you are in a struggling relationship, just, you have to know there's no way around forgiveness. Well, we just really just need to spend more time together. That's nice. But without forgiveness, you're just coping. Maybe one or two more date nights and everything will be fine, really. No. Forgiveness. Men, I'm challenging you. Well, I'm not really a pray out loud type of guy. I don't give a crud. Take your wife's hand and pray with her. Men of God, be a leader. It's not easy, but boy, is it worth it. Take her hand and say, let's pray imperfectly. Who cares if you forget one of the components of the track prayer? Um, what's next, honey? I don't know. I, it doesn't matter. It's your heart that matters. I know many of you know, because I've talked about it so many times over the years, because I get to speak here like once a year, which I'm super thankful for, about my testimony to forgive, reconcile with, and help save the life of the man that murdered my mom. I just had this really unique opportunity to travel across the country and help, his name is Bob, help Bob after he attempted suicide. Three days or a week after he attempted suicide, I got a chance to ask him, Bob, do you think it's possible for you to receive God's forgiveness and begin to walk in the purpose he has for your life? And he said, and I quote, Dean, I don't think it's possible for anyone who's done the actions I've done to be able to truly ever forgive themselves and experience freedom. And I said, Bob, will you let me help you make forgiveness a priority? And I may not have said it like that, to be honest. But to make forgiveness important, So that God can do his part? And he's like, yeah, I guess, sure. Similarly, right at the same time, right around the same time, I asked my sister, Gianna, do you think it's possible to forgive Bob for killing our mom? And she said, with the camera running, no, not only would I never forgive him, but if I ever see him, I'm going to, I want to kill him. I said, Gianna, would you let me help you make forgiveness a priority so that God can do his part? She's like, sure, whatever. Whatever. Fast forward one year of these two people doing their part. One of the most incredible moments of my life, I found myself on stage with Bob and my sister Jenna, if you could put that picture up, please. That's that's Wabash Church, 2009. A year before this picture was taken, Bob tried to take his life, thought he had no purpose, and now he stood up in front of, a group of people, and his new purpose had become helping other people who had done really bad things. He was qualified. Similarly, after one year of making forgiveness a priority, Gianna showed up at this church, walked in the room, and said, Bob, I forgive you, and gave him a hug simply because she made forgiveness a priority. And I'm so thankful that since this time in 2009, I have been blessed to witness hundreds, if not thousands, of people who by just making in a real relationship with Jesus, forgiveness a priority, experience the kind of breakthroughs that you read about in magazines. God is real, yo. And he wants to set you free. But you can't just know it's important and not do anything. It's time to take action. Today it's time, whether it's exactly the track prayer or the K cart or the rack, K or whatever, today it's time to make forgiveness a habit so that you can think Truth and feel good, and to choose love because that's how God designed you. Shall we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just love you. We thank you that you're so real. We thank you that you make miraculous breakthroughs happen. And in the process of making forgiveness a reality in our lives, Lord, you do what seems to be the impossible. Help us today, Lord, to make it a habit to receive your forgiveness, to forgive others and to ask others to forgive us, that we're not just hearers of the word anymore, but now from this moment forward, we are doers. Help us, Lord. Please heal our thinking, heal our emotions, and please heal our relationships right now. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now I get to give the benediction. Is that what it's called? Please stand. And now go forth and make forgiveness a habit. I love you. God bless you.